I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Our main focus this morning and our passage will be verses 13 through 16, but we'll begin reading our, in just a moment in verse 3 to get some context to what Peter is writing to his people, uh, the message we have for us this morning. And what a sweet morning has been so far as we begin to anticipate to celebrate this Advent season as, as a church family and to be able to take this same message to our immediate family, to our friends. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that the goal to live with such a hope? That with our hope and this eagerness and this longing, people ask questions. They want to know what's different about us. Why do we have so much care? Why do we have so much love? I was reading, uh, scrolling through my Facebook feed this week, and uh, there were some pictures of my children. And my mother put a statement that said, Christmas joy comes alive through the eyes of a child. So true. To be able to live, to relive some of those nostalgic emotions that you have on Christmas morning. But it has to, to me, it just seems like, as I thought about today's message, what is so sweet to a child? What is it about Christmas through the eyes of a child? More candy? And I'm pretty sure it's the gifts. But there are some traditions. There's some things that we do, whether it's hiding a star to go find it, whether it's cocoa and stories around the fire, Christmas cookies. Going to see all the lights. The eyes, Christmas through the eyes of a child, there's just a sense of wonder. This wishfulness, this hope that come, come Christmas morning or come to the next gathering, that they get what they want. Let's just boil it down to brass tacks. Eh? They have this long list. And they were wishful in their spirit of Christmas. But this year, with decorations, we have a one-year-old, Lincoln. The phrase, no Lincoln, is definitely a top five staple every five minutes of a phrase that we use in our family. No Lincoln, no Lincoln. He moves on to the next thing, moves on to the next, moves on to the next because he's intrigued. With this new thing, lights. All the breakables are at the top. You know how it is as professional parents. The stockings. He wants to know what's in the stockings. He wants to touch everything. He is eager. He is curious. And he's intrigued. Christmas through the eyes of a child reminded me of my Christian walk. And where I am with Christ this Advent season. And I hope that I can remind you as just a simple messenger this morning about the hope the anticipation that Dean and Stephanie, thank you so much, shared so clearly with us about how we wait for the second coming of Christ. When I think about child and Christmas, I got to believe it's about the expectation. This wonder paired with Christmas spirit, this wishful thinking and hoping that they will get what they want. So as a messenger and the understanding the meaning of Christmas, let me remind you that we are born 
into a living hope, a hope that we are called to. To some of you this morning, this message may be a reminder. I hope that it is encouraging to the Christian brother and sister. I hope that this is an affirmation and a reminder of where we are this Advent season. But to some of you, I have the same hope, that you will hear the gospel message and that you will be spurred into responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as Christians and brothers and sisters in this room, despite our situations and where we are, we all walk in this hope. We've been there in this hope, wanting and wishing an environment, asking for an environment of ours to change, asking for a situation to turn to the direction that we think would be better for us when God knows best. Whether we find ourselves in a sporting event, our child's uh, uh, event or singing or reception, or we find it doing a play or, or we see our children succeeding or not succeeding, we pray, we ask the Lord, please. We hope, we have this wishful thinking that something or someone is going to make it right according to how we see is best for us. Well, this morning, before we dive into our passage, I want to put two parallels in front of you, put two different lines of thinking. The first one is going to be our Christian hope. But then there's going to be a second silo or framework, our, the cultural hope, the worldly hope, our wish might be a better word. Cultural hope is merely being optimistic, having this optimistic desire that something will be fulfilled. We have all been there. But this hope is not guaranteed. It is not a guaranteed hope because it is subject to change based on people and based on circumstance. Cultural hope or wish. But then church, we have the Christian hope. This Christian hope, on the other hand, is a cheerful assurance that something will be fulfilled. The difference between cultural hope and our Christian hope is that our cheerful assurance is guaranteed because we are anchored in Jesus Christ, the unchanging Son of God. That is where our hope is. We have, to be remem- we have to remember that. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 tells us that our hope, we have hope, and it is anchored for the soul. And not only does it say it is anchored for the soul, but it said it is firm and it is secure, church. Our hope in Christ is firm and secure. So cult- cultural hope leaves us loose. It leaves us about in these waves of life, being tossed about because of circumstance. But our Christian hope is anchored, anchored in Christ Jesus. It is held and it is kept and it is steady during uncertain times. We don't have to wish for it. It is certain and it is true. R.C. Sproul would, would type out or say it this way. Hope is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promises of the future that God has made. 
and the late Billy Graham would say, Our world today is so desperately hungers for hope, yet uncounted people have almost given up. There is despair and hopelessness on every hand. And then he says to the church, Let us be faithful in proclaiming the hope that is in Jesus Christ. That's where I want to be today. As we think about the Christmas and Advent season approaching, as we think about our hope, our calling to a holy living, let us remember as the body of Christ that we have a message to share with everyone. The hope that we have, it moves us forward amongst despair and hopelessness. Church, the hope that we have, it energizes our present right now. It gives us reason to live. Eternal perspective. Hope steadies the storm. Wherever you are, hope is contagious. I have not met one person who did not hope in something or someone. And hope is healing when it hurts. We know this, church. We know that Christ provides this. But in our passage today, we're going to see that we are born again to a living hope. We are called to be holy. And our hope in Christ will lead to holy lifestyles. And our holy lifestyles will reflect the hope in Jesus Christ. So as this pursuit works out between us and Christ, it will reflect the greatness of the hope that we have and that we are called to. And as we reflect it, people will be attracted to the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our message. The main point for today is we are to be a holy people. We must be focused on the Christ's second coming and during this time be obedient in life, growing in the knowledge of who God is and his holiness. We have to, church. Let's look at our passage starting in verse 3 of 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept, amen, in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than, more precious than gold that perishes through it as attested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not, not though that, though that, though you do not know, though that, I'm sorry, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. In verse 10, it says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted that sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, 
It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels looked, longed to look. And this is our passage for today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Pray with me, please. Father, as we hear your word this morning, as we look to the message, Holy Spirit, we ask that it goes deep into our minds and into our hearts, reflecting into our actions to bring glory to you, Father. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The reason I read the verses leading up to our main passage and focus of sermon scripture this morning it's to give you a little context, just a preface, because where we pick up, it's a divide in Peter's letter. Peter right now is turning from praise and thanksgiving to God to a call to action, a duty and responsibility for God's people. We see this type of writing all the time in the New Testament. We see it in Peter's letters. We also see it a lot in Paul, giving thanks to God, giving praise And then quickly turning to the problem of correction. To lead us and to guide us into what it looks like to live holy lifestyles. So as we pick up in chapter 13, there's four points that I'm bringing to the table this morning. Real simple for those who are taking notes. The first one is be prepared. The second, be hopeful. Third, reject worldliness. And the fourth, reflect the Lord. That's it. Simple message for a great God. That's who we're called to, this holy life of living. In verse 13 of chapter 1 in 1 Peter, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minding. Preparing your minds for action. To prepare your mind for action. Yes, simple. But how serious do we take it? church how often do we tie up the loose ends in our mind that go and chase the tangibles of this world the world is offering there's there is i promise you we understand there is no shortage of liberties and entanglements and systems of this world that bring pleasure and distort the way we think it's on the tvs It's in our conversation. It's online. We know it. But we have a duty and responsibility, according to Peter, to the church, to prepare our minds for action. That takes work. It takes owning responsibility. It takes discipline to fix our eyes on God, His holy word. To fix our eyes on the holy sacraments, to practice baptism, 
and to practice the Lord's Supper as we just did. It takes discipline to fix our eyes on loving one, one another, the body. But we must prepare our minds to do these things, to live out, have an action that loves God and brings glory to him. The second part of that verse teaches us to, challenges us really to be sober-minded. Sober-minded is what I just explained about making good decisions. Tying up these loose ends, not going off, not tailing off of what is right. God has called us to this holy living, as we read about. Being born again to this living hope that we celebrate this Advent. So we have this responsibility now to focus on this hope. To reflect and to love who God is and what he is doing in our lives. And as we do so, as we remain sober and make good decisions, our decisions will reflect the hope in us. And as we reflect the hope that is in us, it shows where we place our hope. It's where we place our trust. We must walk in this preparedness, church, and be able and present at all times to preach the gospel. Hear me, as the church with a message of hope, we must be prepared at all times to preach the gospel. This requires sober mind. This requires preparing and discipline. Be prepared, church. It's that simple for a great Savior. The second one I bring our thoughts to is point number two in the latter part of Verse 13 says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. We set our hope on grace. I love this imagery when I read it. Literally, in my mind, I'm like, I am setting everything I have, all my hope on the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. I am not setting it on a job. I'm not setting it on wishful thinking of a different life. I'm not setting it on my spouse. I'm not setting it on my kids. I am setting it on the grace of God. That's where it belongs. That's where my hope is. That's how we live. We must learn to continue and exercise the preparedness, sober thinking, setting our mind on the grace, and hear me, that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, this grace brought to us, this is that final grace. This is it. It's over. The hurt is over. The sickness is over. The pain is over. We're living forever with our Savior, whole and perfect. John MacArthur talks about this grace and saying that it's Christ's future ministry to us that glorifying Christians and giving them eternal life in his presence. It will be the final culmination of grace initiated at salvation. The same grace that began in us a good work will find itself final and finished and kept in heaven in eternity. That's hope. 
we place and set our hope on that, not on the things of this world. The fullness of grace will be complete, finished, when Jesus returns. Amen? But as Christians, we're caught. As Christians, there should be this continual toil, if you will, between our spirits and longing for what's coming and what's reality. If you find yourselves caught between those, those two lines of thinking and promises and truths and reality, it's okay. It's going to be uncomfortable. But where we are as Christians, we find peace of mind in Christ. We find peace of mind in the promise that there is going to be a day that Christ will be perfect and his grace will be finished and fulfilled and we'll give it to and we will be able to in, remain and enjoy it forever. And I promise you to those who are enduring a season of suffering when you just don't want to be here Keep pressing on. And it is so important right now that you hear this message. That when you see the faults in your spouse, when you see the faults and the sin in your kids, you know that the same grace that can work that out is the grace that we set our eternal perspective on and that blessing of hope and promise. Let us not lose sight of that, church. We long for that day. We long for that day by thinking clearly having a sober mind. We long for that day by living sensible lives that worship and glorify God and deny and reject the evil of this world. And that leads me to my third point. We are called to this way of holy living by rejecting worldliness. Rejecting worldliness. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Our obedience, if you're taking note, we are to reject worldliness. But our obedience to our holy calling reflects our hope in Christ. It's contagious. It proves to our peers that we live with this perspective, this eternal perspective and significance. But most importantly, it reveals our allegiance to our God. When the world around us is placing their hope in all these small gods, these idols, it reveals our allegiance to the great king. And he's good. And we've got to remember that. So let us remember that we must reject all of these small gods and these idols in our life to remain sober-minded and on setting our grace on the hope that is found in Christ Jesus. And what I love, too, about this part of the passage, do not be conformed to the passions of your former, former ignorance. Our holiness and our calling to Christ and godliness shows that we are no longer slaves to our former passions, our former ways, who we were before the grace of salvation when God began to work in our lives. There is a repentance, there is a change, there is a turn, 
And this hopefulness that is found in that attracts and reflects, which is number four, reflects our Lord. And as we reflect the Lord, because we are called to be holy, our holiness, our conduct should be holy. Because in verse 16 it says, Because since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Look at that first part, verse 15. It says, He who called you. Let's put ourselves in position here. He who called you. Quick reminder here. God's work in your life was not your own. It's your responsibility and now is your gracious gift. But the initial work in your life to call you as holy child, there was nothing you could do. There was nothing you could do to earn this. This is a gracious gift that God has given us as the church. It is one that was done on the cross. If you're here this this morning and you have not responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I invite you. The gospel of Jesus Christ has changed my life. I can with absolute confidence tell you that I would not be who I am today just because I read this book and just because I grew up in church and just because I decided to do a few good things and because I like it. No. I am who I am today in the desire to respect and honor and work out my salvation before the Lord and be an ambassador is because of his, his work. It's because of what he has done through his son on the cross. So if you're here this morning and you have not responded to the gospel, to the hope, to the peace and the joy and the love that is found in this good news, I invite you this morning, do not leave. Do not leave without talking to me, talking to one of the elders here, or someone you trust spiritually to work out this good news in your life. It's worth it. This holy calling and conduct, as we work it out, it does reflect the Lord. It reflects the Lord's work. And in, it reflects the Lord's work, and it provides witness to his holiness, and it gives way to the gospel to be preached, which gives way to salvation. This holiness in our lives that we're called to, to reflect the Lord also divines, is defined by a new creation. Who we are as new creatures, Christians. And our lives before should look drastically different because the lives before, as simple as I could put it, had no desire to honor God. But our lives now will be at turmoil. Our lives will be turbulent. Our lives will be unsettling when we're not obeying. When we're not honoring the Lord. When our lifestyles are not aligning with His. We all know, brothers and sisters, that we're just a bit more anxious we're a bit more like is the word unsettled something is unsure because we are living lives that aren't pleasing to god that's how we were we could live that life before but now we can't because we are called to this holy living we are demanded and, and not encouraged we are peter and paul were very clear live lives that are holy 
And as we begin to work out these lives that are holy, we understand God. We understand why there are moments in our life that work in us to sanctify us. And we turn to the word and turn to remembering who he is and the work of the cross. And we turn to the church. And in hindsight, God begins to show his hand at work, at work, and at work as we grow in the knowledge of who he is and his holiness and how sovereign God is. It leads us to a place of reverence and honor. These lives, our lives, when we gather together, we meet around the table with our families and friends. When we're in one-on-one conversation, it brings us to a place to share the gospel, to lead people to understand who Christ is and trust that the Spirit of God proclaiming His Word is going to do its work. But most importantly, it puts us in place to display this hope in our own salvation and our own testimony. May I ask a question? Hopefully you'll receive it. When's the last time you sat down sat down, and said your testimony? When did you share it with somebody? I asked myself the same question this week. We do live out lifestyles of example. We should live out lifestyles of graciousness. All the fruits of the Spirit... But let's just, let's get, let's get real, let's dive a little deeper here. When's the last time you have found yourself sharing the gospel and the good news with someone? Whether it's with your testimony or not. It's a question that I was spurred to ask you. Because we're going into a time and a season where the table is full. There's conversation after conversation after conversation. There's ample opportunity for us to apply the gospel to someone's situation. I hope this morning, right now, that I am an encouragement to you to do so. To advance the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we are called to this living hope. Remember as a child when you received the gift you wanted? As you got older, you couldn't wait to share with your friends. Let's return. Return to that day of your salvation. When you received and responded to this great gift that God gave you. I pray and have prayed this week that we leave this morning with an eagerness to talk about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because this hope moves us forward. This hope is contagious. This hope is steady in the storm. And it will help those who are hurting. We've heard it before and I'll say it again. If you were to have the cure, why would we keep it to ourselves? Be prepared. Be hopeful. Reject worldliness, church. And let's reflect the Lord this Christmas season. Charles Spurgeon would say, without Christ, there is no hope. Let's pray. Lord, as 
we find ourselves challenged with the thought of sharing your good news this Advent season. But this morning, Lord, I believe in this room there are individuals who need to return to the sweetness of your grace, return to remember the hope. To be reminded of the day that you so graciously broke us and revealed our sin to us. And you called us into this living hope that no matter what we're going through on this side of heaven, that we can trust your redeeming plan. We can trust your promise. So God, move in each individual heart in this room and in these seats. Prepare in us. Give us a steady mind and sober mind to be ready to preach your gospel at all times. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.